Eagles Entertainment. Everything that moves, I don't care who it is. Let's go. Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right. Another day, we've got a window breakdown as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 510. At the top of today's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with my buddy Greg Cosell to look back at an important victory over the New York Giants for the Philadelphia Eagles on Christmas Day. We're going to look at the biggest plays that stood out, talk through some of the things that went well, some of the things that didn't go as well for the Eagles in this one. But like I said, a big, big win on Monday afternoon. And then we'll also look ahead to some matchups on both sides of the football again the visiting Arizona Cardinals next Sunday at 1 o'clock. Now, before we get going, as always, head on over to Apple Podcasts, rate, review, subscribe. Make sure you leave us a comment. If you've got a question, we will answer it here on the podcast. And then also, be sure you go check out the All-22 review. It is back after a three-week hiatus. Uh, the Eagles uh, getting the win, and so the All-22 review is back over on the Eagles YouTube page. It should be up by the time you are listening to this, so you can go and check it out. Uh, some of the A lot of the big plays in the game, really the, the five or six biggest, most impactful plays that stood out to me while watching the film on both sides, I was able to squeeze into that segment. So a lot of the stuff that me and Greg are going to talk about here in this show, you can go and you can watch it for yourself and see exactly what I saw when I went through the film on Tuesday morning. That said, let's get going here. Excited to catch up with Greg. It's time now for Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. All right, back again for some more Chalk Talk here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. My friend Greg Cosell from his office in NFL Films as we talk through an Eagles 33-25 to victory over the visiting New York Giants. And, uh, Greg, the Eagles offense had nearly 500 yards uh, total between passing and rushing. They had nearly 200 on the ground. Uh, Jalen Hurts uh, just under or just about 300 through the air. Uh, it was a, a solid offensive performance, but still, you know, one of those like bitter tastes in your mouth because of, uh, you know, they had the late turnover. That was a pick six. Uh, that game, obviously, a little bit closer than people, you know, than it probably should have been. Um, yeah. But at the end of the day, a, still a big win in the division and a much needed win for the Eagles. No, I mean, the bottom line is they needed to win a game. Um, you know, the offense was was clearly better. Um, you know, in an odd way, what I kind of liked the most was when they got the ball um, on that, which ended up being the final field goal drive. I, I kind of loved the fact that they gave it to Swift seven times in a row, you know, because you hear that a lot about wrapping up games and doing that. And I thought that was, you know, to me, you may, maybe I'm an old school, school purist, a friend, but I thought that was a really good thing. Well, and that's what this team has done so well over the last couple of years, right? And you go back to last year, how yep. many times they did that. You go back to 2021 uh, when they went on that streak in the second half. That was what they majored in was that ability to get that lead and then get into the four-minute drill and turn it into a seven- or eight-minute possession and just bleed the clock dry. Uh, yeah. And that's something that this, that this team has been able to do in the past. They have not been able to consistently do it this year. Uh, now, the four-minute drill on Monday – did net points, you know, you get a field goal at the end, uh, which was good, but obviously still kept it a one score game. But I do, I agree with you that uh, I think the run game, especially, you know, if you take the last two weeks into account as well, it's now been two straight weeks against Seattle and against New York, where this team has been able to get downhill and be yeah. very, very productive, just shy of 200 yards rushing in both of those games against the Seahawks and the Giants. And, uh, you know, and maybe my, my most fun play to watch in the game. And obviously I'm sure you made a note of it as well was, um, Swift's 13-yard run in the third quarter. 
yep. when um, Jurgens put uh, Okereke on the Oof. ground twice. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that was just, you know, one of those fun plays. And, you know, it's just, you know, a really good block the first time. I mean, he came off the initial combo with Kelsey on the one technique Riley. Uh, and then he climbed to the second level and put Okereke on the ground. And he stayed with the block and put him on the ground a second time. And, you know, that let, let him know about it afterwards, too. Well, that's what I've been trying to do. That's, <laughs> that's, just, it, that's, that's it. That's just normal. That's just par for the course, friend. You know that. <laughs> that that's nothing new, you know. Yep. That's, that's just the way it goes. You know, you just got to let him know that, hey, we're out here having a good time playing some football. Well, and that's the thing is that, you know, people forget the Cam Jurgens in Nebraska. Like, that was kind of like his calling card. He, he was so athletic uh, yeah. and made some great blocks in space. But, I mean, he was a tough son of a gun, too, man. He, he would get after people. He he, put, he bought a, a mindset to the position that you really, you know, you always are searching for, uh, certainly at that spot. And Jordan Mailata had some big-time blocks on the on the, uh, the, run, the run game as well, used often as a puller in this game on those counter right. plays. And so you saw him uh, on the kickouts and on the uh, as a lead blocker in the hole, and he was able to do some damage as well. Yeah, no, it was it was you know it was I guess I viewed it given the way they have been playing offensively um, as just a really solid offensive performance. Um, obviously, they played a team that uh, through most of the first half, while Devito was the quarterback, um, was not moving the ball, so the, the Eagles didn't get stuck with a lot of long fields or you know where they had a you know it, it was it was a comfortable game for them to be able to get back and and just get comfortable playing offense, and I thought that that's what showed up. You know, yeah. I thought that uh, Hertz clearly played better. Um, you know, uh, it, it's so funny, though, that, you know, obviously, you know, and I know that, you know, because they have not played well offensively, uh, there seems to be through social media a lot of blame to go around, as you know. But, you know, I thought that, uh, which I, I don't subscribe to, uh, you probably don't either. Um, but, uh, you know, it was just, it was just good to see some things that were, that were really effective and, and that worked well. And, you know, the giants do not have a bad defense. No, and that's the thing is that, you know, at the end of the day, you know, it, it was the, uh, and the broadcast, they did a good job of kind of highlighting last year and really the, the dominance the Eagles have had over the Giants over the last few years. Uh, but going back to last year and the fast starts, and that's exactly what happened in this game. The Eagles jump out uh, seven, they score a touchdown in the opening drive uh, after the long punt return from Covey. They jump out 17 to three, then it's 20 to three at half. And it feels like, what that dominant, what those dominant performances were a year ago. But uh, a friend of the podcast, uh, Dane Is Selman, did a really good job of kind of illustrating this last night, uh, sometime after the game, where he said, "Look, you had those two plays in the second half. Well, it really, he, he highlighted the three plays. But if you look at the uh, the Dory Jackson seventy-four yard pick six, all right. right. Which, uh, obviously, look, there was a it was deep in enemy territory. It was just uh, just outside the red zone. Um, and, uh, you know, Dallas Goddard falls down on a speed out cut, a speed cut, slips on the turf uh, and goes down to the ground as Jalen's throwing the football and it goes the other way. That's an unfortunate play, um, but not something where it's like, oh, what a bonehead mistake there. Like, what a, what a, what a dumb play, right? It was just, I mean, kind whether of it would have weird... been complete or not is, is not the point, but it wouldn't have been intercepted. Right? Exactly. And right. so it goes back the other way. Uh, and then you have the uh, the Boston Scott fumble on the kick return where, you know, it's just a, it's a bad matchup. OZ gets stuck against uh, Isaiah Simmons, who is significantly bigger than him, but it's still uh, longer fluke, than him and throws him off. It's a fluky play. It's a fluky. still a fluky play. Right. So you take those two plays and you look at the EPA on those two plays. They lost nearly 17 points, expected points yeah. on just those two plays. And right off the bat, it's like, okay, well, the Eagles went from being in scoring range, potentially scoring a touchdown before the Goddard pick six. That goes the other way. So that's you know a, a 14 point swing or 10 points, at least a 10 point swing, potentially a 14 point swing. And then you have the kick return at the beginning of the first half. Like they stole a possession. So just like that, 
Like that's the, there you go. There are 17 points. And how much differently are we talking about this sure. game if it's because uh, that you're saying that's you know potentially 50 points uh, on the board here for the Eagles. And so you know at the end of the day, uh, yes, I know it doesn't feel good. And we've said that a lot this year. It's like oh you know if not for the, some of these errors here and there, but this one I feel like there were truly there's a couple freaky plays that just kind of tilted the game in that way. Yeah, and and um, I don't know about you, but I almost fell off my chair when I watched the first play of their second possession, where uh, Jalen Hurts actually ran play action from under center. Um, you typically do not see that, yeah. And I thought maybe we'd see more of that because it was only the third time all season they went play action with Hurts under center. And th- they were expecting zone coverage because they called flood, but they got man, but it still worked because Hurts um, – uh, excuse me, Goddard did run away from McKinney, who was matched on him, and the place did work, and, and Jalen actually threw a really, really good ball there um, because it was a tougher throw than probably anticipated when they made the call. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, that's something just – that's a personal thing of mine. Uh, it's no knock on either uh, Sirianni or Brian Johnson. I personally like – play action under center. I think it has a bigger impact on defenses than play action from the gun, but this is obviously not something they've done over the last couple of years. So we're not likely to see more of it, but, uh, but it was nice to see. No doubt. And you mentioned Jalen Hurts uh, overall. I thought he was pretty good uh, in this game. You know, you had the, you had the pick six, obviously, and that's going to go against him. We've talked about that play uh, already, but I think overall uh, you look at the whole body of work in his game um, was not a perfect outing against the Giants, but that's a tough defense to go against, as we mentioned. Uh, and I thought that he had a solid performance overall. So did I. I mean, this was clearly his best game in quite a while. Um you know, there are still a couple of plays where I thought he left the pocket prematurely. But on the other hand, I think you're always going to get that with Jalen Hurts. And and that may not be seen as a negative. Uh, it may be just the, the way he plays the position, given that that's probably the way he's played the position since he picked up a football and started playing quarterback. Because he's always, I imagine, been the best or, or one of the one or two best athletes on the field. So that's something you probably are not going to totally get rid of. And as long as it's channeled, it's totally fine. And he really didn't do that anywhere near as much in this game as he has been doing. Uh, And I thought he made some really good throws. Um, You know, obviously the 36-yard touchdown uh, to Smith, that ended up being pitch and catch because the middle was wide open. And I thought that Smith, who was such a good route runner, just ran a great, great route to be Lot a player you and I both like, by the way, coming out of LSU, but he got beat by Smith there, who's you know just a great route runner. And yeah, and you could argue that you know, as big, there may have been no bigger play in the game given how the game had progressed than the um the throw he made to uh, Brown for 32 yards on third and 20 early in the fourth quarter. Um, yep. you know, big time throw. Um, he showed some some comfortable second reaction movement there, it was calculated, it was comfortable. Um, and he hit Brown in the outside void when Flott, who was playing outside corner at the time on this play, yep. had rotated a little bit inside to overlap Zacchaeus in the slot. And in, like I said, it may well have been the biggest play in the game. Yeah, I think when you look at that one, certainly that was one that Nick Sirianni and several players talked about after the game in the locker room as being, you know, kind of like the, that momentum yep. swing in the game because that was the drive after the pick six, and so you wanted that that response to happen on that drive. And so uh, you come back, you hit AJ Brown on third and twenty uh, for the the thirty two yard gain on the very next play. Kenny Gainwell goes twenty two yards yeah. on that inside zone play, uh, and that's really kind of got the ball rolling, and the Eagles end up scoring a touchdown on that drive. You know, Kenny Gainwell has become a really important part of this team. I mean, you know, he uh, he's obviously the back, the third down back, the pass. You know, everybody says you got to throw it more to Swift. You got to throw it more to Swift. Well, 
that's fine. But Gainwell is the back that who plays on third down. He's an excellent yep. pass protector. He's a, he's actually a more physical runner than I think I thought he would be coming out of college. I mean, I loved his game in college for many reasons, as yep. I think you did as well. Yes. But he's he's shown to be a, a a pretty physical runner in the NFL. I mean, we're not going to you know say he's Derrick Henry, but I mean he he runs hard. He's just a very he's a very well-rounded player. Like, and that's why you know, there's a there's a lot of he's a very useful guy in that he can wear a lot of hats for you offensively. If you need him to be the short yardage guy, yeah. he, he's got that ability. If you need him to be a third down player and you know catch passes and pass protect, he can do that. He can run zone, he can run gap. He's not the most explosive guy. That's not his uh forte. He's not gonna be a guy that's gonna run four four. But I think when you look <clears throat> overall at his overall skill set, uh he again he can do a lot for you offensively. And that's why I think he's always gonna be, you know, somewhat of a fixture here in Philadelphia. I would agree um the other thing that really stood out to me was the amount of 12 personnel they played yes in the i wanted half. to ask you about that yep um because swift had 15 for 77 in the second half and all 15 of those runs came out of 12 personnel so they had 26 snaps of 12 personnel in the second half and only 11 snaps out of 11 personnel so again i can't speak to the reason why you know because i'm you know i'm not part of those conversations but i just thought it was really interesting that they chose to do that because obviously in the first half they were a little more normal you know because the obviously the way higher percentage um was in the second half and i thought that uh that was that just struck me as really really interesting I mean, my feeling on that is just that, you know, you watch the first half and you see when they come out in 12 personnel, they're they're, they're not changing their personnel defensively. They were still lining up in nickel and said, all right, well, we're, we're going to well, take they these played a, They played a lot of big nickel to it. Yes, you know, right. Yep. Belton, which, which, you know, and, and obviously because Wink Martindale had done that throughout the season, you'd have to assume that they felt they could attack that particular defensive personnel package because mm -hmm. they, 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 they got the big nickel, and then at times the Giants would go to their their five two, which is you know another base personnel uh, package. But uh, they got a lot of big nickel, so my guess is they thought they could attack that. Yeah, you know, and the uh, I'm not advanced enough to be able to to tell you the whys on this one, but uh, clearly this is a team that feels good when they go up against this defense. You know, from a structure standpoint, that these counter runs. Uh, you go back to like all these Eagles Giants games over the last uh, couple of years under this coat with between these two coaching staffs. The counter runs are just been over and over and all the different variety with it, whether it's just straight counter, counter read, quarterback counter read, all the different yeah. RPOs off of it. And that was what I enjoyed out of this game was just the, uh, you know, we saw that multiplicity from the offense. And that's when it's really humming is when you have that full synergy, everything kind of looks the same to the defense, but it's different uh, ball carriers and different targets in the past game offensively, all off the same kind of action. And I thought we saw that a number of times in this game. Yeah, I mean, Hertz had the 16-yard run to start the third possession, yep. which was quarterback counter. And I thought that, you know, Opetta had a really good kickout block on McKinney. My yep. just led through and drove Simmons out of the hole. Um, and Goddard had a great seal block on, on Okereke. And I mean, it, you know, they ran the ball. This game, you, this was the first game in a while, friend. And I think you feel the same way where I felt like the Eagles offense had had some rhythm to it. Like, you know, and, and I'm, a, you know, again, I don't want to say it had a sense of purpose because every game coaches, you know, have a plan and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. It's the NFL. You know, it doesn't always work out exactly right. The other team plays too. I mean, look at the Saturday night game with the Bills and the Chargers. You know, the other team sure. does play and these are professional football players, you know, but this was a game where I thought that there was just a, a better feeling watching the tape because to be honest with you, and, uh, you know, I didn't see the game live except for the final two minutes because, you know, I had to work on Monday and watch tape. So when I watched the tape, that was my first real feel for the game. Um, and I just thought it had a better feel, didn't you? 
Yeah, I mean, that, that's the thing is when you start to be able to to string some of those drives together. And like I mentioned, just the uh, the marriage of the, the run game, pass game, RPO game, and all of that meshing together. I thought uh, this was one of the best examples of that, certainly in the second half of the year, but maybe over the course of the entirety of 2023 yeah. Uh, yeah. so far for this offense. I mean, they were, eight for 50, they were eight for 15 on third down. Hertz was seven for 11 for 103 on third down. Six of those seven completions resulted in first downs. I mean, I thought that, uh, you know, they did a good job versus Blitz because um, obviously you get a lot from Wink Martindale. Yes. Um, you know, it just it just was a, um, again, you, you know, you we can nitpick, but this was a step in the right direction. And by the way, the coaching staff shouldn't nitpick. That's their job. But this was clearly a step in the right direction given the way they played on offense the last three games. Yeah, and before we move over to the defense, also notable that uh, both A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith now in the season, uh, over 1,000 yards. They were the first Eagles pair to do it ah. in the same season last year, uh, and now obviously the first to do it in back-to-back seasons, uh, both guys going over 1,000 uh, so far this year. Let's go over to the defensive side. Uh, a lot to take away from this one as well, and, lo- and you already mentioned, obviously, look, the the, the, the Giants, the, they're, they're struggling. It's uphill for them in the snow uh, offensively right now. No, without um, question. Yeah, but I, I think when you look at what the defense did, a lot of signs of, of improvement uh, and some things they can build on. Well, first of all, we got to talk about the personnel because obviously they played dime uh, quite a bit. That's become since Patricia took over, they played dime. But what's interesting about this dime was that Bradbury moved inside and they played Ricks and Ringo outside. And, yep. um, you know, this was not the team to, for us to sit here and say, boy, those guys did a great job. You know, the Giants are not necessarily a, a great passing football team. So but, you know, they there was certainly not a weakness. But um, uh, but I thought that was interesting that Bradbury came inside and he matched Waller a couple of times when they did go man. They played more zone this week than they, they did, a did no question against Seattle. Um, which you know, I think they, you know, Patricia and staff probably learned their lesson that they struggle a little bit with that. Um, you know, but uh, so they clearly played more man. Um, what I what I liked about zone. that too, well, a number of more those zone. third downs, uh, Greg, was that you know you had yes they you know it, it looks it looks like it's going to be man and and the Giants they ran a couple of those man beaters they ran a couple of, like follow concepts from the slot and then it all it, it, it's not cover one uh, you know it's cover two or it's cover three or it's cover four like they mixed up those zone coverage looks sure. on third down and a couple of those times like Devito or Tyra Taylor dropped back. And no, nowhere to go. And they completely were blanketed with all of their receiving options uh, out the window. So I thought that from that standpoint, big reason why uh, the Giants only four for 14 on third down. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would agree with that 100%. And I tell you, um, I thought uh, Van Sumeren was a revelation. I thought he flashed the entire game. Um, he's a sudden twitchy athlete. He, you know, he plays downhill with burst and explosion and he can come to balance. Um, he showed some strength and pop in his hands, taking on and shedding O-line blocks. I mean, I thought he played a really strong game. And he obviously played every snap in uh, in base and nickel. He did not play in the dime. Leonard did. But uh, but I thought he played really well. Yeah, I thought Van, <laughs> Van Sumer and Flash. Uh, a couple other guys, I, I talked through Shaq Leonard. Uh, he was the three-down guy, played in their dime. Uh, and so, you know, he, get, he gets the sack. It was a nice orchestrated stunt there uh, with Josh Sweat looping in, getting DeVito off his spot, and then uh, right. Leonard was there to clean up. But he made some nice plays downhill in the run game uh, here in this game. And then Nolan Smith, <clears throat> we talked last week about the usage with Patrick Johnson uh, where he was lined up off the edge and then as an off-ball guy. We saw that from Nolan Smith in this game where they would come into a big penny package with the only linebacker on the field yeah, he, played eight, Smith as a he staff played eight player. snaps in that role, which I personally think is his better role. Um, I thought he struggled a bit, you know, uh, at times. I mean, he missed a, a wide open tackle in the hole on Barkley. Um, but to me, 
that's what he should be in the NFL. I do not. This is just a personal opinion. And, you know, it's also based on film study coming out of Georgia. I yeah. don't think he's an edge player in the NFL. That's just, you know, again, and I know there are some coaches who thought that as well in studying coming out of Georgia that I spoke to. You know, I think he should be a stacked backer. But again, we'll see how that goes. Yeah, you, you and I saw him a little bit different. I I was very yeah. excited about uh, Nolan as a as an edge rusher, uh, and still am. I'm I'm actually not down on him at all, uh, based off what you know. It's been small samples. Uh, oh, very but I, small. honestly. You know, like what we've seen from Keely Ringo, because, you know, three weeks ago, I think a lot of fans and even local media were ready to write off Keely Ringo. Oh, he, if he's not playing, he must he, he must not be able to play. Uh, and all of a sudden he comes in and you know we've seen some solid play over the last couple of weeks from Keely Ringo. I would agree with that. Um, I think he's looked better than he did in college. Um, you know, he'll never be super smooth. He just doesn't have he's not that body type. But, you know, you and I, I think, both agreed that at Georgia, you know, he looked a little stiff. He struggled to stop. I think he's looked smoother. They're clearly working with him. Um, and, um, yeah, I think he's looked better than he did at Georgia. I would say, what was your take on the uh, the 69-yard touchdown to Darius Slayton? Uh, it looked like, you know, the Eagles were in a form of cover four there. Um, was that, did you see that? Because that was to Ringo's side. Did you see that as being on Ringo? Did you see that? No. I think that was more on Reed. How did you view that play? That's it's on Blankenship. It, yep. it, assuming it was quarters, which it looked like. Okay. Now we don't know right. all yep. that's taught and if there's if they tweak it, but if it's normal quarters, Blankenship's responsible for two vertical. And Slayton was two vertical. And Blankenship peaked in the backfield. And I don't know why he did. And he totally lost his focus on what he should be doing. And you know, Slayton ran that deep sail. And then Blankenship, after he totally lost his focus, then just took a really bad angle. But unless I'm I'm wrong, and I could be if they have a different way of teaching it, but it looked like a quarters concept to me. And that meant that Blankenship was responsible for Slayton's vertical route because he was too vertical. Yeah, I went back and forth on that while watching it this morning uh, and wasn't sure exactly how you landed on it. So I was interested to kind of get your thoughts. What did you think? Oh, wow. did, do you agree or disagree? Yeah, I ended up feeling that it was more on Reed uh, as opposed to Keeley, but I wasn't, I didn't feel like 100%. Because somebody broke out. It was, it was in a sense, a three level concept. And right. I think, and somebody broke outside right to Ringo. Right, exactly, and so that you know, and that's one of those things where it's like, okay, uh, you know, I got almost look at look back at the depth of that break and say like, okay, because every again, every staff kind of teaches that different in terms of when that becomes your guy that you now have to match to. Um, so yeah, without knowing exactly how how it's taught in that scheme, uh, that can be tough. Right, for us to kind of but the way it mapped out is Slayton did become number two. Yep. So again, you know, we could, you and I could talk about this for the next hour and not know how they teach it. Yeah. But my sense of, of of having many conversations over the years with defensive coaches is that that was probably on Reed. Uh, and then just lastly, uh, the guys up front, I thought were impressive against the run. I thought Fletcher Cox and Jordan Davis both stood out uh, from that sen sense of things. Was there anything else that stood out to you? Yeah, up front? Davis is a really good run defender. I mean, yep. that, that's that's a given. And once a game, he has a great pass rush where he just pushes a guy back. Um this offseason, you know, he went from last year to this year, improving dramatically as a run player. Now the next step for him is this offseason, he's got to work on becoming a pass rusher because you want him on the field. See, that's the thing. He's not on the field on third down. Right. And, and I think a, a good, a good, like, uh, you know, a hopeful aspiration there is the guy that was on the other sideline in, in Dexter Lawrence, because Dexter Lawrence oh. obviously has become one of the best uh, defensive tackles yep. in football. Uh, he's probably going to be an all pro again this year. And it's not like he came into the league as this polished pass rusher coming out of Clemson. No, but, no, uh, no. was an outstanding run defender and grew into this role. No, no question. So that's what you're hoping. And, you know, 
let's hope that that's the case because you know the guy's obviously a physically gifted guy but he just needs to be taught a little more how to rush the quarterback which you know in some ways he was probably never taught well let's go over to uh the game this weekend the eagles hosting the arizona cardinals it's their first one o'clock game in what seems like 14 years uh and excited for uh to have a one o'clock game and get home uh maybe around this when the sun goes down uh that should be fun greg but uh that said let's get into this matchup and we'll start on the the cardinals offense just because we got done talking about the eagles defense uh their ability to stop the run will be important in this game because uh, they have been one of the most productive running teams in football. Uh, James Conner continues to just be a really solid back. Uh, he's just been, he, he maximizes everything he's got, you know, uh, and they like to play, get him downhill. I got to tell you, you know, just, you know, as you know, I've done this for a long time, and certain guys, you just really like the way they play. And yep. maybe it's also a function of his history, you know, having uh, come back from cancer. But I really enjoy watching James Conner. I like the way he runs. No one's going to say he's a top five back in the league in terms of overall skill set, but he runs hard. He's got a little more burst than you think. Um, you know, he's probably not going to go 60 for a touchdown, but it's not, he's not a plotter by any means. Um, and he works between the tackles inside stuff really, really well. Um, and they do a pretty good job blocking up front in their run game. Um, yep. you know, so again, this, you know, we just spoke about Jordan Davis and how well he's played the run. He's probably going to get a lot of opportunities this week and he'll continue to play a lot of snaps. Um, and Milton Williams, who's obviously also played the run extremely well this year, you know, he'll have opportunities as well. But to me, even with Kyler Murray, I think their offense right now runs through James Conner. Yeah, I mean, this is a team that is top five right now in yards per attempt. They're top five in explosive run rate. They're yep. sixth, sixth right now in yards after contact. They're eighth in yards before contact. Uh, they uh, have done a nice job getting him downhill. Uh, you know, and it's yeah. a lot of the gap schemes. Like I mentioned, it's a lot of under center run, which you're not used to seeing with Kyler Murray. I can't imagine he's done this uh, in his entire life. Uh, just, you know, the way that he grew up from a, a uh, Pop Warner all the way up through college uh, and in the NFL playing in the air raid and in the spread systems. Uh, I think when you look at them under center, that is their mentality. They play a lot of heavy personnel sets, you know, a lot of 12 yeah. personnel. Uh, and that, that's the mindset. That's the uh, that's the identity of this offense right now. I mean, he's averaging 4.9 yards a rush. I mean, he's, yep. you know, again, he's, you know, it's not, he only has 150 or so carries, but, it, you know, he's not one of those guys who has 250 carries, but, you know, he's a, he's a good back. I mean, you got, you got to, you got to deal with James Conner because the one thing, see, if we, if I could transition now to, to Kyler Murray, of course, yes. you know, Murray's not played particularly well since he's been back. He's, he's been inaccurate. That's been a big problem. Um, and he's been inaccurate on the move because he's, he always is going to move just that's his game. But the issue you face when you have a back that is keeping you on schedule is those third and three and fours are really hard to defend against mobile quarterbacks. So someone like Kyler Murray doesn't have to be great in terms of every throw. It doesn't have to be a precise, you know, we're not looking for him to be Drew Brees, but when it's third and three or four, that's when the, the, the legs of Kyler Murray really become a factor and he becomes much harder to defend. No question. I think that that's what, you know, I think we were expecting some kind of growing pains there, uh, you know, with the, just to him kind of getting acclimated a little bit, especially, uh, you know, working under center for the first time. He's going to be changing up his footwork and he's doing that all while rehabbing and, you know, going through that whole process. Um, but it has not all been sunshine and rainbows for him, no. uh, certainly to start so far. Uh, that said, 
they have been able to profile some of the targets in that past game. And one guy who's been really a, you know, a revelation for them uh, in the second half of the year has been the second year tight end, Trey McBride. Yes. I know you were really, really high I, on, you liked him a little more than I did. I uh, did. I, I, I really you were very him. high on him and he's been very productive over the last six, seven weeks. Yeah. I, I really liked him. Colorado state, right? Correct. Yep. Yeah. I really liked him coming out of Colorado state. Um, you know, at Colorado State, he lined up as the boundary X, the single receiver. He ran good routes. I thought he was a three-level guy. I mean, not a four-four-five guy. You know, he's not not. The, but I mean, he had enough juice and enough speed to be able to to work all three levels of the, of the defense. I, I really liked him, and and obviously, since they got rid of Zach Gertz, he's they, that's probably the reason they got rid of Zach Gertz. Um, you know, he's really played well for them. Um, he's basically the number one target now. I mean, uh, you know, Hollywood Brown as well. But, um, you know, I, I think that McBride is is a guy you, you absolutely have to focus on. You know, Brown, uh, you know, just because of the way that they're playing offense, you know, there's a lot of 12 personnel. It's a lot of uh, like the heavy stuff. It seems like they feature McBride more. More uh, so. so. That I mean, is correct. Yeah, I mean, Brown, I mean, he's had 105 targets in the year. McBride's gotten, he's only 11 behind him. And again, like so much of that production has happened in the last six, seven weeks. So uh, it's definitely the tight end that you've got to make sure you stop uh, here in this game. And they do move him around the formation. He's not just an inline player. Uh, So the the matchups there, I think, will be important here in this game, especially on third down, making sure that you get him. Uh, down to the and, ground. And the other player him. you have to be aware of, he's not a volume player, but he he's an explosive player as Rondell Moore. No doubt. A much different usage than what we've seen from him in the past with him. Yeah, but he still is one of those movable chess piece guys. Yes. And you have to, you know, because he can take it to the house. That's the thing. See, yep. you know, when you play teams, look, we're not saying anything profound here to say that the Eagles are better than the Cardinals. Okay. So, so what can happen when you play a team that you're better than? It's almost like just with the Giants. You know, they hit the long touchdown. They the Darius you know, Slayton. Yep, right. They, sure. they had the the, the the interception return for a touchdown. But just sticking with offense, the last thing that can happen when you play the Cardinals is Kyler Murray on third and four running for 40 yards. Yep. Or or Rondell Moore scoring on a 50-yard touchdown. Or, you know, th- those things can't – because that then all of a sudden makes it a game. So – you know, they do have guys that can do that. And and even though Kyler Murray has not played well overall, um, you know, he's still capable of all that, as you know. Um, and he has done it in his career. You know, even just a number of weeks ago, I forget who the opponent was. He had that play in the fourth quarter or what, third and 13, and he ran around for what seemed like a week. And he, you know, and he got the first down. I mean, yep. you have to, you know, you have to be careful about that. He can do those kinds of things. Yeah, it's in, in a way like I I like a lot of the stuff that they've been doing offensively. Uh, I like the the new identity there. It's been a nice change of pace for them. But um, you know they still need to to continue to build up uh, some of the weaponry and say you know some of the personnel. But I I do like the identity there that they've built so far with that offense. Uh, let's go over to the defensive side where the, the numbers are not always pretty, uh, often not pretty, I should say, when you look at a lot of the metrics uh, in both run game and pass game. But that said, this is a group that's playing really hard, and, and they do do some good, nice schematic yeah. things on the back yeah, end. they do. They're kind of fun to watch. I mean, it was about four or five weeks ago that, you know, uh, and, uh, you know, they're one of those teams for whatever reason. It's probably because who they played against. Yep. But I've seen a lot of them. You know, that just happens some year with teams that aren't really good. Like, I don't wake up on Monday morning and say, can't wait to get in and watch the cards. But, you know, it just seems like I've watched a lot of them. And about, oh, four or five, maybe six weeks ago, 
all of a sudden I'm watching them and I'm seeing what they're doing in the secondary. And it was about the time that Garrett Williams came back and became their slot corner. And he did yeah. not play this past week. I don't know what his status is this week, but he's actually been playing pretty well. And yes. I, he's a kid I really like coming out of Syracuse. I, I, I agree. I was I was yeah. very high on Garrett Williams coming out of Syracuse. But anyway, the point is, all of a sudden I'm seeing them playing with three across, you know, at kind of quarters depth and Garrett Williams was the slot corner and he was one of the three across at quarters depth. And then I see snaps where they have sort of five across at quarters depth and Buda Baker was always in the middle, regardless of whether it was three across or five across. And I'm saying, boy, that's really interesting. And then I'm watching more and more and I'm noticing that Baker would often kind of drop downhill as the play started. And he would almost always drop to the passing strength of the formation. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I'm thinking to myself, this is pretty cool. And, you know, I, again, I don't know, you know, the late night meetings that made them decide to do that. I did speak to a coach, um, not not on their staff, but a, a coach who coached in the NFL for years, who's not coaching this year, who said that they do a lot of that kind of stuff in college. So very, maybe very college. Yes. No yeah, so maybe that's where they got it, you know, from who, you know, you know how coaches are. They they see all this stuff. You know, yep. they live they live this stuff. But so anyway, I think it's pretty interesting. And, um, you know, they also play a lot of four two big nickel. I mean, they they actually do. They don't have a, a ton of talent on defense. You know, I think right. we could agree on that. But I think technically they do a lot of cool stuff. They do. And, I, I you know, the, that was the thing that stood out to me most was that that defensive back rotation you talked about. Yeah. And right off, right off the bat, I'm like, man, this looks like I'm watching. I feel like I'm watching Baylor against Oklahoma State. And some yeah, of the things yeah. that they do down there at Baylor is, re is really, really good. A lot of the stuff that, uh, you know, got Jalen Petrie drafted in the second round and, and one of the best young safeties in football. You know, I still, when I saw I look at this, uh, I look at Buda Baker, you, know, you look at Jalen Thompson and then you look at Garrett Williams. Who, by the way, uh, just looked it up. Uh, it looks like he should be ready to play. He's he was, it was a knee issue last week, but Jonathan Gannon said on Monday or on Tuesday rather uh, that he should be good to go. Then, then they uh, probably won't play big nickel because Williams will play as the slot corner. Yep. So yeah. uh, that'll be that'll certainly be something to watch here. And they have re had to remake that secondary because you know they they came into the year and Marco Wilson was a starter and they they moved on from him now. Antonio Hamilton has been in now, there. Now is Marco ha Wilson? You know because obviously he hasn't. Is he is he not on the team anymore? He's on the team. He's just he just uh, has been put put onto the bench for Antonio Hamilton. Yeah, because um, I mean because Hamilton and and Starling Thomas are, have been their outside corners for a number of weeks. Yeah, Star Starling Thomas was a, a freak show athlete coming out of the draft out of UAB. Um, you know, and so he's been playing. And then I did not uh, do him. Did you do him? I did. Uh, you know, he was a, you know very much more of a, a developmental type, but the traits were absolutely there. Uh, and then when you look at Hamilton, uh, he's been in the league for a little bit. He's he's a James Bradbury type in terms of like skill set. He's really, right, you know, relying right, on his right. eyes and, and his length. Um, but I think that you know that's kind of what they're working with in the secondary. And and uh, and, and this week, probably maybe due to injury or maybe it's going to continue. But Owen Papo from Auburn, you know, got yes. a lot of snaps when they went to with two linebackers. You know, sometimes they go five one, but when they go yep. two linebackers. Papo was playing. Um, you know, he played at Auburn for four years. He's he's a very athletic guy. Big time I didn't athlete, think yep. his tape was great in college, but yep. he's super athletic. And he was a big, big time recruit coming out of high school just because the athleticism was off the charts. Yeah, Kaiser White, the former Eagle, uh, he's on injured reserve right now. Yeah, so he's yeah. played for them this the past couple weeks. So and Woods, uh, Woods must be on injured reserve too, then. Or, or yeah, so, yeah, and they they lost Jonathan Ledbetter uh this yeah. week. So he yeah, that's a starter yeah. along the yeah. defensive front. So uh, you know, what was already a thin unit uh, is losing some players here. But um let's go quickly just go over the front because they've got some interesting pieces up front as well. Uh BJ Ojolari is the second round pick this year yeah. out of LSU. Um yeah, really long, athletic, explosive speed rusher, and he's had he's had some uh, 
uh, some production this year. Uh, Dennis Gardeck has loved turned Dennis in like Gardeck. I've loved him for years. Yeah, the, he went from like a play. fun role player, like third down pass rush specialist. To now he's an every down player for them. Oh, and uh, he's, he's flying I mean, around the field. And I tell you what, that, there's a guy, and you know, you shouldn't have to say this because everybody should, but that guy plays super hard on every snap. Yep. No, no question. And uh, they do a lot with dropping their ends uh, yep. in coverage. They, they, they'll do a lot of three-man rushes, a lot of zone exchange blitzes. They yes. don't blitz a ton, but you'll you know you'll see a lot of uh, variety there with how they use those guys. Zayvon Collins, former first-round pick. Tell me if you've heard this before. Was uh, started as an off-ball linebacker, but now is making the move to pass rush uh, on the edge. And uh, he's been up and down, but he's he's a good tackler in space. And uh, again, that versatility plays well. I think with the, with this scheme with Jonathan Gannon, they really seem to be like clinging to guys that can do a lot of different things for them and they're just trying to muck things up uh, defensively in terms yeah. of the reads for the quarterback and there are times that um, Collins moves inside as well yep. in past right. situations um, so no you know he's an interesting player because he was coming out of college about 255 260 pounds so he's capable of, of being deployed the way they're using him right now yep and then the guys up front you know Roy Lopez at, at nose tackle Lopez Dante still good snaps Lo- Lopez flashes you know he's one of those guys He's been around, but he flashes. He had good years in Houston. Uh, it's kind yeah. of like a spark plug nose tackle yeah. inside. Yeah. Uh, and then Dante Stills has given them good snaps. An undrafted free agent rookie yes. uh, out of West Virginia. And he, he's given them some good snaps as well up front. He was good. I did him coming out. And, I, you know, again, I, he was a good college player. I mean, he had moments in college where he thought, I think this guy could play in the league. So, you know, look, this is a group that's got some athleticism. The, the back end, certainly a little bit more uh, star-studded than the, than the front. Um, but, you know, look, they're they're going to try and uh, change the picture for Jalen Hurts. Uh, Nick Sirianni spoke on Tuesday about, yeah, like we're familiar with JG and what they're going to do defensively, but he, he knows the book on us as well. And so that will be the chess match uh, here in this game. And we'll, we'll we'll be here to talk about it next week, Greg. Yeah, just before we, we wrap up. And, and because they know the book, both teams are going to have something a little different here and there. I mean, right. at this point in the year, you can't change, you know, your whole methodology obviously but there'll be a few different things so yeah so they know jg and jg knows them but there'll be a few things that are done just a little bit differently you know just for that reason yeah no question uh so that will be certainly a storyline to watch here in this one greg thanks so much for joining us and uh we'll talk to you next week uh, to break down week 17 in the nfl season week 17 fran can you believe it that's right all right well i'm just glad the birds are in the playoffs that 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 makes me happy Plenty more uh, to talk about here with this team, Greg. We will talk to you next week. All right. Thanks, Rant. Great stuff from Greg. Thanks to him. And thanks to all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcasts here with Eagles Entertainment. That being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. For everybody here at the NovaCare Complex, I am Fran Duffy. We will talk to you later this week.